Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Hello. This is going to be a bit of a weird one because we're recording this beginning of May, um, but probably won't be released until sort of June or July, so bit of a bit of a strange one isn't it we don't know really know who would be saying hi to or or what's happened to us in the last couple of months you'll have had a baby by now i know weird yeah very weird before i we do begin i did want to kind of put a little bit of a disclaimer because normally we write and record our episodes within about a week or two's turnaround don't we yeah but this time this episode's been written in april recorded the first week of may could not be released until july there's the chance that something, some bit of new information may have come about or new evidence or something might have changed. It's very unlikely, but I just thought it was worth reminding people that potentially if there's been some massive development, that's why we haven't really had it discussed. The whole world could have come to an end by now. Based oh on the Christ. last 18 months, anything could have happened. This is very true. It, it might just sound a bit different for our listeners, but I think it'll be okay. Yeah, it it might be a tiny bit disjointed when it comes out, but the um the crux of the case won't won't differ. It'll be the same as as we uh as it would normally be. I don't want our listeners to forget me. So how could they possibly make sure that forget I'm still you? Listened to? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. honestly, yeah. Don't don't worry, Beth. And there's only one of you. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> mm, I'll, I'll leave it open to your interpretation. So this week's episode is going to be another listener request. So thank you so much, Sash Sutherland on Instagram for the inspiration for today's case. And it's a case that myself and Mark discussed at length at the time of it happening. I'm sure if you live in the UK, then you're going to know at least a little bit about it. And I remember us sat there at work following the news reports every day, wondering what had happened to Becky Watts. And there was this huge twist in the story as well. Um, and I really remember sitting there and talking to you about this. Yeah, I think because it was very local to me because it was Bristol. Um, and I also remember when I would commute to work uh, during the trial in this case, I would see the prison van coming literally as I would kind of get on the M4 to get to work. I would see the prison van coming off the M4 and I knew that it was wow. the perpetrator in this because it was fla- flanked by um a police escort or sort of at the front and the back because this was a really high profile case at the time so obviously the perpetrator was in in custody on remand uh awaiting his trial and, and during the trial and um yeah I would see the van so um so yeah it was uh just uh one of those cases that captured the public's attention um at the time but also during the trial which I think was a relatively lengthy trial um, so yeah, we would talk about this case quite a lot at the time. I think it was back in 2015. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of those cases we always knew that we would cover eventually. Uh, we just didn't know when. So yeah, thank you um, for the inspiration, Sash. So Becky Watts was a 16-year-old teenager living in Bristol at the time of her murder in 2015. On the 18th of February, she had headed out to spend the night at a friend's house returned the next morning to have a shower and get changed and stopped to chat to her stepmom. She lived with the stepmom called Angie and her dad, Darren. Angie suffered from multiple sclerosis and was leaving for a hospital appointment that was booked in for about 11.15. So I think she left about half 10, had this chat with Becky. 
And then Becky wasn't seen again by her family, so she was reported missing the next day, the 20th of February, at about 4pm, when they still hadn't heard from her. The family said her disappearance was out of character, and whilst it appeared that she had taken her laptop and her mobile phone with her when she left the house, she hadn't taken any money, any clothes, any makeup, or anything else to suggest that she was planning to go anywhere, that she would have stayed the night. And I remember a lot being made of her taking a laptop so the phone not so much but the fact that the laptop was missing I remember a lot was made of that at the time because it was quite an unusual thing for her to have taken and I think it added credence to the fact that although she'd not taken anything else like no money and stuff um, it was just unusual so it did lead people to believe that she had run away I guess from home. Yeah and the weird thing for her friends was that they were messaging her and they got no reply. That was really out of character. And I think that was, it's such a difficult one, isn't it? Because she would go and stay the night with friends. That wasn't out of the ordinary. She was a teenage girl, you know, she, she would stay out. It's, it's such a difficult one, but I think the not getting in touch with people was was the major red flag, wasn't it? It, it was, but again, you might just think, well, maybe there's a secret boyfriend that the friends don't know about. Maybe she's met a man on the internet and she's gone off to meet him. Um, so even though she's not messaging her friends, it could be that she's with someone that nobody knows anything about and it was a, some kind of clandestine meeting. So so there was a big question mark over it, sort of, as, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as it was reported that she was missing, you didn't classically think, this is a murder, you just thought, mm, there's there's probably a bit more to this, but this is a girl probably that's just run away. Maybe she's been uh, chatting to somebody and she's gone and met them. Um, I think you knew it wasn't going to end well, but initially you certainly didn't think what actually happened had happened. Exactly, and this is the thing, and, the, and when the Avon and Somerset police put out their first appeal, they did say it's out of character for her not to contact someone if she's not going to return home. They gave a description of Becky, so they said a white girl aged 16, 5 foot 4, slim build with long reddish hair. They said that she may have been wearing a blue puffer style jacket and the next day her dad and her grandma made appeals for her safe return as well. But they not only appealed to people who might have seen her, but to Becky directly saying she wouldn't be in trouble, they were just worried for her. The police also reiterated the fact that she wouldn't be in trouble, saying they'd help her if they needed, if if she needed them to help. So the police appeal was we are ju- all just worried about you. We want to make sure you're okay. If you can just call home, one of your friends or us on 101, we can work with you to help work through any issues you're facing. So I think even at the beginning with this, that's how the police and her family were also seeing it, the same as what you said. Yeah, and they, they would have had an insight into the home life and any normal teenage issues that she may have been going through. So I suppose, yeah, for them, it, it possibly was that she had just run away. There was still no sign of missing teen and on the Wednesday a hashtag kind of began to trend on social media which was hashtag find Becky. Her dad spoke on the radio about Becky explaining how timid and shy she was and he even told the public about the last time that she was seen. He also said she's very shy and timid. She can't even go up to a till in a shop. She's really reserved. She wouldn't want to ask for a bus ticket. She'd rather walk than have to get on a bus and speak to the driver for a ticket. So he really kind of painted this picture of of who she was. Mm. Initial inquiries focused on the belief that Becky had disappeared after leaving the family home, 
based on statements given by her stepbrother Nathan and his girlfriend Shauna. So the couple had said they were in the house on the 19th. They hadn't seen Becky, but they'd heard the door slam. So a fair assumption is that she's gone out of the front door. Um, Nathan was kind of frantically contacting everyone on Facebook, just asking, had anybody seen her? And then friends and neighbours organised their own search of the area. So on the Thursday, when it had been an entire week since her disappearance, um, the family were continuing to make appeals, handing out flyers. Her mum kind of said to the press that she disappeared on her brother's 20th birthday. So it was, you know, there was a lot of emotion and a lot of worry. The police were continuing routine investigations. They searched a pond at St George's Park, Bristol, which was close to the home and searched Troopers Hill Nature Reserve, two miles from Becky's home. But frustratingly, they found nothing. There were people on social media or in the press kind of saying, why is this being looked at? Why are you looking at these places if you've got leads? But these were all just routine places that the police would normally look. Yeah, it's almost like they, they, they have a process for investigating the disappearance of somebody her age. So... There, there, there will just be places that they go to to look for her. They're not necessarily looking for a body. They're looking to hopefully find her alive. So it's very normal that yeah. they would they would look at those places. Definitely, or even just for some evidence, yeah, like the laptop, that sort of thing. It felt like there were no answers to be had for a really long time, and I feel like we, looking at the media every morning and stuff like that, I think. We kind of felt like that as well, didn't we? We felt like, how is it still going on? How has nothing been discovered yet? I think we, I don't know why, but it was, it, as I said earlier, it was one of those cases that gripped the whole country from the off. And I guess maybe that is because we knew it wasn't going to end well. We, we'd seen this before and it rarely ends well. So we knew that something was coming, but there was just that element of hope and as you said there there was this sort of active move, movement on social media uh, to raise awareness and to, to really try and find her so that there was that hope that she would be found alive and it did it just it was something that was it was in the papers every day it was on the front pages and it was being talked about um, on the news on breakfast tv so we all lived it uh, for for that week that initial week that that she'd gone missing and I think because I live in Bristol and she was from Bristol and had gone missing uh, it, it might be skewed for me because it would have been on on all of the local regional news as well mm-hmm. but it, it, I still think it was a big deal at the time across the whole country not just in Bristol. No I totally agree I think it definitely would have been and um, but definitely more in Bristol, but also really the surrounding area as well. Because if she had have gotten a train, she could have gotten a train to Swindon or somewhere like Bath or there's lots of places close by that if she had have decided to just disappear, um, that would have made a lot of sense. Mm. But it was after that first, you know, like the 48 hours where it's like that that time when you're kind of really looking for somebody it just the time just went past and you just kind of felt like yeah as you've said this isn't going to end well I I think with every passing day where she'd not been found it was just getting more and more inevitable that this this was going to have a sad ending which it absolutely does yeah so on Saturday the 28th the police confirmed that they had made two arrests and on the Monday the pair arrested um were sort of charged they were arrested on suspicion of murder 
um, suspicion of assisting an offender. And then the pair were kind of questioned about suspicion of kidnap as well. And then three men and two women were also arrested on suspicion of assisting an offender. And the two original people were charged. The following day after that Monday, Becky's remains were discovered. And I remember that that was, it was just such a shock, wasn't it? When we kind of heard actually that they have found remains now. And you just hold on to that hope, don't you? And then you think, oh, like it's it wasn't going to end well after all. Yeah, they. Um, I, I remember at the time as well because it it was just all over the media and it was quite intrusive, really. And probably the police didn't want certain aspects of the investigation to be uh, reported on. But I do remember the police were searching the garden, I believe, of mm-hmm. a property that wasn't Becky's property, but another property in Bristol, very close by. And um, I remember sort of aerial photos of that appearing uh, on the news and in in the papers yeah because uh, so, there were two properties and yeah and yeah i mean that must be so weird because you would know those streets by even at least by name if not by yeah. sight wouldn't you yeah so the murder trial began on the 6th of october 2015 at bristol crown court but who were the two people on trial well we have mentioned them already in this case so becky's stepbrother Nathan and his girlfriend, Shauna. And I feel like this was a real shock when we heard this, wasn't it? Yeah, it it was. Yeah, and again, you just kind of... It it kind of reminds me of of other cases where it's... Well, quite often it's somebody close to home, but um, it's still somebody that you wouldn't necessarily expect in in this situation. Um, Mm -hmm. And he'd, of course, been, as you said, he'd been active on Facebook. He'd been searching for Becky. I think he'd um, done a number of interviews as well. So we kind of knew his face and we knew his name, but no one at this point had suspected him um, until that was revealed that he'd been arrested and charged along with with his girlfriend, Shauna. And then it was kind of like, well, what's she done? What's her involvement in it? Because that is unusual. It was just so, so kind of really upsetting, actually, and really distressing because you... This is somebody who is close to Becky and you just don't expect it at all. So Nathan had been brought up by his grandmother and her husband. He reportedly suffered from pain, depression and anxiety from an early age after being diagnosed with a rheumatic condition called fibromyalgia. And he was in a relationship with Shauna, who was his mum, Angie's carer. Shauna also hadn't had the easiest childhood growing up in care as a child before moving back in with her birth mum who had seven other children. However, I'm not kind of describing their childhood to get them any sympathy. Becky also had a really tough time growing up. So do a lot of people. It's definitely not an excuse, but I think it gives quite an insight into this pair. It does give an insight, but it, as you said, it doesn't explain why they did what they did. Because as you said, so many people have a tough time growing up they have traumatic childhoods and they don't go on to do something like this but but yeah it was um they they certainly had had a a rough time of it but it doesn't absolutely doesn't excuse what they went on to do at the time of becky's murder the pair lived together in this filthy house that was described as cluttered and they were so lazy they basically lived in the bedroom with a toaster and a kettle at the side of them so they didn't even really have to get out of bed as a teenager 
Nathan had spent hours alone in his bedroom. He'd even like eaten his dinner there. And he admitted he had anger issues, described himself to the police after his arrest as emotionally unstable, psychologically disturbed, a caveman. His medical condition and fragile mental health didn't stop him joining the Territorial Army. And whilst he was a part-time soldier, he'd learned survival and organisational skills. But his anger issues meant he'd never make a reliable soldier. He would snap and colleagues kind of recalled their terror at the erratic way that he would drive vehicles if he was in a bad mood. Which you just can't do if you're, I don't know, like if you're in the in, in the territorial army, you can't, I know it's not the, the kind of real army, but you've still got a lot of responsibility and you can't just let your mood dictate uh, anything really, how you drive, how you fire a gun, what decisions you make, uh, your judgment. So uh, yeah, that was never going to work. Shauna had moved back to live with her mum at the age of 13, so after spending her childhood in care, and began her relationship with Nathan at the age of 14. Her mum really wasn't overly impressed about this, saying Nathan was flirty, sexually orientated and domineering, so if Shauna ever asked him for anything, he'd ask for a sexual favour in return. Creepy. Ugh. Um, and Shauna moved out to a Bristol City Council-owned hostel, Nathan then moved in with her, which kind of broke the rules. And then Nathan told Shauna's mum that she wouldn't see her daughter again. And the pair moved into a housing association terraced house in the Barton Hill area. So this was only a couple of miles from where his mum, his stepdad and Becky lived um, in the St George area. And it sounds like Nathan kind of had like a bit of an argument with Shauna's mum, which just I always get so shocked when people at like his age um so how old would he have been I think he would have been like when she was 14 he'd have been about 22 I think a 22 year old like yelling at at his girlfriend's mum like that just shocks me so much Mm, I don't know I kind of it depends what the relationship was like between Shauna and her mum and Shauna had spent a lot of her childhood in care so you can kind of guess that that was probably quite fractured and she would have confided things in Nathan and maybe as much as he was domineering and a complete dick, maybe he was thinking that he was protecting her by um, fighting her her battles for her with, with her mom. Yeah, that's so true, potentially. Protecting her in some way. Yeah. So Shauna then became the registered carer for Angie. And a really weird, strange love-hate relationship kind of emerged with Becky and the pair. So Nathan terrified his stepsister. Becky told a number of people she was scared of Nathan after he told her in graphic detail how he would kill her. He once suggested that he would batter her with a sledgehammer and Shauna seemed to enjoy watching Nathan terrorise Becky. They later said they thought Becky was self-centred, manipulating towards Angie and Darren, which I just think is really harsh because from everything else I've read, that's a really nasty thing to say about this really timid, nice girl. And also, she's a teenager, so normal teenage behaviour, even if she is shy and timid, there probably were times when she manipulated those people and um, and was self-centred. That is a typical teenager. That's typical teenage yeah. behaviour. It's just typical child behaviour. Yeah. My little one will, like, manipulate us to get what she wants. Yeah. It's just normal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but there was a really creepy side to this because Nathan was sexually obsessed with Becky. 
He was also an abusive boyfriend to Shauna. So he used psychological torment, telling her that she was fat and he hated her smoking. She said she had to beg for food and pay him for cigarettes, saying, I felt like a child. He was my dad almost. He controlled every aspect of my life. And he stopped her from going to a further education course when he thought she was talking to other men too much. He would also be physically abusive. On one occasion, he scared Shauna because he pulled her by the hair onto the bed and strangled her for like four or five seconds. But others have said that Shauna was the abusive controlling one of the pair. Some of them close to Nathan said that Shauna was to blame for the state of um, sort of Nathan's mental health. His nan said that that had declined during their relationship and he'd become paranoid Um, He was apparently so scared of losing Shauna that once when she wanted to break up, he used a fork to stab himself and violently scratch his own face. Yeah, there's there's clearly, obviously he's got physical illness, but there's clearly mental illness there as well, isn't there? And that kind of paranoia manifesting in controlling Shauna and stopping her um, going to college and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, I can, you can see the problems brewing here. Um, Exactly. And I think it kind of shows as well that there's never black and white with anything. Neither of them are perfect. Neither of them are too to blame for their relationship and the state it was in or the state that the pair were in. They're both potentially equally as abusive. Could be, yeah. So in 2015, Shauna was 21 years old and pregnant. She was working as Angie's carer. And 28-year-old Nathan was a takeaway delivery driver. They seemed on the outside to be a normal couple, but were secretly hiding sick fantasies. They would discuss kidnapping petite girls. They'd text each other creepy things about kidnapping girls and stuff. They used their phones to go on pornography that was focused on teenagers. They liked to look at young women dressed as schoolgirls. Um, And then they also liked to watch threesomes when they were watching porn. And at one point they managed to turn this fantasy into reality when their friend joined them. I could not get out of my head the idea of the friend joining them in their disgusting, gross house where the bed was also a bit of a kitchen. And I really hope they went to the friend's house because that is, ugh, what a horrible thought. Yeah, it's, uh, you've kind of, it's sort of indicative, isn't it, Um the way they were living, sort of in a complete mess, cluttered, and a really lazy sort of lifestyle. It's, I don't know, it's indicative of, of poor mental health on both parts, I would say. And it was almost, again, it was all, always going to, something was always going to happen with this pair, whether Nathan would have killed Shauna at some point, or I just don't know. I feel that something was brewing anyway, just from how they were living and interacting with each other. This was never going to end well for them. It was always going to end up in the courts and, and something bad was going to happen, but you would never have necessarily thought that it would be Nathan's stepsister that they would they would turn on. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird, isn't it? But But this is the thing. Becky was the one that Nathan wanted. He was reportedly sexually obsessed with her. And to be honest, Shauna seems, in my opinion, to have been more than happy to go along with his sick plan. So on the 19th of February, they'd gone to the family home armed with what they kind of described as a kidnap kit. The kit included handcuffs and two stun guns. Becky was suffocated in her bedroom during what's been described as a sexually motivated kidnap plot. 
and she was stabbed 15 times in the abdomen after her death. Her post-mortem revealed that she had fought back hard. Injuries to her mouth and nose suggest that a hand was placed over her face until she stopped breathing. Her blood was later found on the doorframe of the room, along with Nathan's fingerprints. So Becky had sent her last text at 11.03am and was killed sometime between then and 12.45, which was when Angie had returned home. After committing this savage murder, Nathan and Shauna stayed at the house, just chatting like it was a normal day, pretending everything was normal, but Becky's body was just in the boot of their car. I mean, that just shows, doesn't it, how warped they were, that they mm-hmm. could go about a normal sort of day um, chatting to Becky's relatives and the whole time that they know what they've done and they've got her body in the boot of their car. Yeah, and it's a really horrible, like, sad sort of thing as well because the final text that Becky had sent to her boyfriend was one that said, I love you so much, just before 4am, the day that she was murdered. Luke didn't reply because he was asleep and... He had a few errands to run the next day, so he went to his dentist appointment, went to the barbers. Through the day, though, he was texting Becky and he got no reply, and he said that was really unusual, so he went round to her house. He got there at, like, 5pm, and Shauna answered the door. He asked if Becky was there, and so she just went and had a look in Becky's room to check if she was there, and said, oh, no, she's not home. We'll let Becky know that you called round when she gets in. Like, how cold is that? But again, that again he's just so calculated and Mm -hmm. how they thought they were going to get away with it I just really don't understand either because they've not really got much of a brain have they and they're not that they might have planned it enough to have a kidnap kit and they're fantasized about this but they've not planned the practicalities of it where they're going to dispose of a body they've not had any sort of forensic awareness around it either so I, yeah, I just don't understand how they thought they would get away with it. Or maybe they, maybe, well, maybe they didn't even think that they would and that wasn't important. The important thing was to just kill her and enact that fantasy that they talked about so often. I know, I just, I just don't get it. It's so, it's just so weird, isn't it? And the whole thing just, like you said, there's no real planning. There's just no. this, we should just kidnap her and murder her and I just I don't get it so Nathan and Shauna returned home after six hours hanging around at the family house they ordered themselves a takeaway Chinese from where Nathan worked and hatched their plan and they also played a game of Monopoly and do you remember the Twilight Killers that I covered quite a while back the the girl and her boyfriend it kind of reminded me of that because they apparently were watching and laughing about a parody of the song do you want to build a snowman from the film Frozen where it was singing, do you want to hide a body? They just, to them, this is just one big joke. This is like something that's happened and it's not real maybe, or or it's not them. I just don't know. I don't know. I th- I think it's like, I think it just shows their real immaturity. And I'm not saying that you can be mat- a mature murderer, but I I, th- I just think through all of their actions, it's just like a real immaturity and, I don't know, it's almost like maybe they've got a mental age of of a child. That's what comes across to me, because no planning, really. They're now hatching a plan of what to do after the event, which is the worst time to possibly do it. And yeah, they are laughing about it. So it is like two kids have seized on an opportunity to, to murder someone, and they've got all of the 
brain faculties of like a 10 year old so they can't they can't really they haven't thought the plan through and it's it's now that they're thinking what the hell are we going to do with it so over the next few days whilst everyone was frantically searching for becky the appeals being made police and public were out searching the pair decided to dismember becky's body oh god i didn't so, remember that from i didn't mm-hmm. know that they'd done that i would have known at the time but i'd forgotten that yeah so the day after becky's murder Nathan rang his bosses and said he needed the day off because he had car trouble. But instead, they went out and bought a circular saw. They used this to cut Becky into pieces, packed her remains into plastic bags and salt and hid them in a garden shed. And they'd used like suitcases and stuff to hide all of the parts. And this was the bit that actually I did remember quite vividly because it was the fact that they'd kind of like packed all these suitcases up and just stored them in, I think it was a neighbor's garden shed. I don't think it was theirs, which was, you know, you said about the images of the property being searched. And I, then there I'm was sure also, it was. I'm sure it was, it was a also a, a friend as well. They asked someone to store some items for them, but didn't tell them what was in there. Um, so the pair were caught on CCTV buying the circular saw, um, like looking at the different brands and, perusing the aisles it's just so gross and then on the 22nd of february they were seen buying cleaning products bleach and rubber gloves so clearly to do the cleanup so finally they were arrested but nathan replied no comment when he was asked a series of urgent questions about becky's whereabouts and shauna simply claimed she couldn't help police in their search and just started giggling so she told officers that becky had left home in a mood on the day of her murder Considering before you'd said that you didn't know whether she'd actually left, but you assumed she had because you heard the mm. door. Now you know that she was in a mood. And also the giggling. I remember that was... I know people react in different ways to pressure, but with her, it was definitely like... She just found it amusing, didn't she? Yeah. And again, that that shows you the immaturity. But I wonder if part mm-hmm. of it is... Uh, Shauna would never have probably apart from say social workers and stuff in childhood she's probably not used to being in front of professionals uh, proper grown-ups with proper jobs and it was probably really intimidating so that could have been some of the giggling because it was just such an not unusual situation to be in in that she's in a police station being interviewed over the murder of of her boyfriend stepsister but it was probably just weird to her that she was in this sort of really formal situation because the life she led was just chaotic and um very small and then all of a sudden she's she's in front of these these people and it's a very serious situation and she's just like yeah it's the only way that she can process it is to just not Mm. take it seriously so at the trial nathan denied committing murder saying he said it was manslaughter so he said he tried to kidnap his stepsister as a way of scaring her into changing what he perceived as her bad behavior but the plan had gone wrong and he'd accidentally killed her how that then kind of deals with the stabbing her multiple times after she's already dead i don't know but fine um and then he tried to protect shauna saying that she was in the garden not at all involved and then shauna also said she had no knowledge of the murder and played no part in it she described the text messages that they'd exchanged about kidnapping schoolgirls as unfortunate and sarcastic but the later footage emerged where shauna was smiling as she lied to the police so um 
it was kind of described as get, as getting a thrill. She was trying to lie to the police. She had this web of lies and experts on investigation discoveries, faking it tears of a crime, which I love that show. I think it's such a good program. They kind of revealed that as experts, they could see these telltale signs that Shauna was giving away, little smiles that she couldn't hide or control whenever she'd give a lie and she thought that the police were buying it. And the police are trained in all of that as well, that body language. So they would they would know when she's lying to them and they would know to focus on that part of a story and to just rip it apart and put pressure on her. So although they're not going to, it's not enough evidence that she's duping them because she's smiling a bit, they would at least be able to focus their questioning um, in accordance with with the areas that, that they don't believe. Yeah. Something I found so interesting when I was researching this case is that Professor David Wilson at one point suggested in the papers that the couple were gripped by a mental condition known as... Folie de. Folie de. yep. So I'd only heard about that for the first time when we did your recent Twins episode, Mark. Obviously, when this comes out for our listeners, it won't be as recent, but it was so weird to read about that for a second time. That is that is really interesting. I think I'd heard of it, but I'd never heard of a case like a criminal case uh, where it had been featured. So that is interesting that it's been mooted as, as something for this. But I don't buy that. And I, I think David Wilson's totally barking up the wrong tree with that. Um, so for those that don't know or haven't listened to that case yet, Folia Dur is basically... Uh, it's essentially one person, ha- one person having a psychotic episode and the other person that they're with, um, almost kind of catching it or e- experiencing the same delusions. Um, but they're not necessarily having a psychotic episode as well. Uh, I- I'm not 100% sure with this. It is a real thing, but I, I don't know as a concept. I'm, I'm just, I'm still a bit skeptical about it and whether it can happen, but, it can because professional people have said that it can um but certainly in this case i, I don't think that would be be right yeah so this is the thing da- professor david wilson had said that the fantasy had developed from suggestive text to an actual threesome but ended with a sexually motivated attack during a shared episode and i'm the same as you i don't buy this i think they were just both nasty creepy people who wanted to do this i think it's like any sort of fantasy that you might have the more you think about it and if you've got another person to engage with around that fantasy and to talk about it with eventually it will start to to build up to the actual event so it was inevitable that it it was going to happen with these two but I, i don't think it's a shared sort of delusional episode i think it was quite calculated and they just coerced each other and egged each other on to do it And the idea of who was in more, kind of more in control has been debated a lot. So Nathan taking full blame for Becky's murder and the bloody aftermath, trying to take all responsibility away from Shauna, kind of shows that he was either extraordinarily loyal or she had a lot more control over him than the pair made out. Mm. It's, It's really been contested and debated a lot, this side of things. I just don't have an opinion with that personally because I don't think there's enough in the press for us to kind of get to know the couple well enough so I'm not sure however I do wonder how much a 28 year old who already has you know these anger issues and these other issues would be that controlled by a 21 year old 
girlfriend yeah. i'm not sure i think the, so, the, the re- i don't know the relationship sounds like it was controlling but on nathan's part towards shauna so i i don't think i'd really it's a nice kind of story isn't it to to put out there that oh maybe it was shauna that was um responsible for this but it was clearly nathan's fantasy he got shauna on board and controlled her to a certain extent and she she was totally wrong to go along with it but i do think that she was controlled by him and i think as well she's there trying to say that she had no idea but she also went out with him to buy the circular saw buy the cleaning products and um they kind of basically said as well that for the dismemberment to have taken place in the length of time it happened you would have needed two people Mm. it's such a horrible thing to think about so um she definitely was involved at least with the aftermath and the cleaning up and she would have known maybe she didn't know the day that they were at the house but I don't know how you wouldn't notice your boyfriend putting his stepsister into the boot of your car and not being aware of something being I just I don't buy it at all no. I do think she's involved but I do think I'm the I do you know what I'm the same as you now I think even the the behaviors where he was so worried that he'd lose her. Actually, that's just an abusive partner who says, if you leave me, I'm going to kill myself or I'll scratch my face with a fork is just another element of control, really. And yeah. I, do you know what? Yeah, you've changed my mind. I think he was the one in, in full control of this relationship. Mm. Two men were cleared of assisting an offender, the friends that Nathan had offered money to move the packages that contained Becky's dismembered body. Two others, a man and a woman who owned the shed where the remains were stored, insisted they didn't know the contents of the packages. So the two people at the beginning, um, they were cleared, but then the two others weren't cleared. So the man was sentenced to two years imprisonment and the woman was sentenced to 16 months. Um, It was really hard to find out much more about how the police were able to discern what did they know and what didn't they know because they just kind of said, well... We were asked to just put some packages in there and we didn't know what it was. Um, I'm not really sure with this at all. And it was really hard to find out some more about it. I suppose like their involvement would have been glossed over um, in, in the papers and on the news because the, the real story of this was Shauna and Nathan and what they'd done. These two people were just on the periphery. But clearly, exactly. clearly the police and the CPS had enough evidence to charged them and a jury convicted them so and they've gone down for like two years and 16 months so that yeah whether they yeah I mean they must have known something um or or concealed something so Mm -hmm. um they might not have known the full extent of it but but yeah you don't go you don't go to prison for two years if if you really didn't know anything about it and you just kept a package for someone and I kind of didn't really want to try and go into too much detail about them because like you said, they are kind of just an aside. Luckily, justice was was quite swiftly dealt, really, for Becky. I think the investigation and the arrests and then the trial, it all happened very quickly, and I feel like that was really good. So, like you said before, it was a five-week trial, so it was quite a long mm. trial. On the 11th of November, 2015, after three hours and 27 minutes of deliberation... The jury found Nathan Matthews guilty of murder and Shauna Hoare guilty of manslaughter. Both were also convicted of conspiracy to kidnap, perverting the course of justice, preventing the lawful burial of a body and the possession of two stun guns. 
I thought it was really sad as well because the judge, um, Mr. Justice Dingmans, broke down as he jailed Nathan for life at Bristol Crown Court. So he, he told him he would not walk free for a minimum of 33 years and then sentenced Shauna to 17 years um, because she was found guilty of manslaughter. So obviously it's a lesser charge. But he said that he was sure she shared in her boyfriend's twisted fantasies about kidnapping teenage girls. Um, He said he agreed with the prosecution's belief that the planned kidnap was for a sexual purpose. He told Nathan Matthews that he had a fixation with having sex with petite teenage girls and that he believed that Shauna Hoare had been persuaded to participate in this fixation. That's interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. That kind of does make it quite clear that Shauna was clearly involved in it, but had been coerced by Nathan, and it was his fantasy, and she just kind of bought into it. I do kind of see elements of, like, folie de, but it's not It's not like a shared delusion or um, a shared sort of manifestation of a mental illness I don't think um, where they didn't really know what they were doing until after the event when we talked about the twins like the twins episode that that could clearly have been that but this definitely isn't Um, I really don't think it is and that's really rare isn't it for a judge to break down in tears Uh, that's the first time in all the episodes that we've done we would have covered over 100 trials Um, that's the first time I've heard of that happening that's just really sad isn't it I think it really speaks for just how brutal this case was and how much it touched people. Yeah. So obviously being me, I wanted to finish with something, you know, not not Nathan and Shauna and not how horrible it was. So this from the judge's sentencing remarks. He said, Finally, I should like to pay public tribute to the family of Becky for the dignified way in which they have conducted themselves throughout these proceedings. Hearing the evidence during the trial has been difficult for anyone, but it's plain that it has been an immense burden for the family. I thought that was really sweet that he kind of really paid a tribute to them. Yeah, because that, said, that could have easily torn their family apart because it's a stepbrother yeah. killing a stepsister. And to face him in court, knowing what he'd done, and to hear all of that in graphic detail, that they'd dismembered her body and lied repeatedly, and they would have seen the police interviews with Shauna giggling. So mm-hmm. to to have composure in the face of that really is something, isn't it? It really is, yeah. So. I seem to recall, so not, I mean, I'm ending on a bad note now, but I seem to recall as well that Nathan had worn a mask when he kidnapped Becky. I think that came out during the trial. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like a ski mask of some sort. So, well, I don't know. I think it was even like scarier than that, which just completely freaked me out to think of Becky. I think she was in her room at the time in a bedroom when he and Shauna mm-hmm. kidnapped her. And yeah. I think he was wearing a mask so that how terrified she'd have been. But yeah, I, and I think it came out that she sort of thought, well, I know that's you and stop messing around. Um, but then very quickly it, it became serious and, and she'd have known yeah. at that point that there was no way out. So, yeah, it's devastating um, what happened, all of it from, from start to end. However, um, there's lots of stuff in that if you do want to, if you want to be a bit a bit mean, you can Google Nathan Matthews and Shauna Hoare and see the people who've like basically attacked them while they're in prison because... Even people in prison are disgusted and angered by what they did. Yeah, there's always so, there's always that sort of criminal brand of justice, isn't there? Yeah, and I'm not saying not saying I agree with that at all, um, but yeah, these people quite often get 
a comeuppance in prison. So there we go. Thank you so much for listening this week, guys. Yeah, th- thank you, Sash, for recommending that one. Uh, we fi- finally got round to it. Yeah, thank you for listening. And um, we will be back next week or just me maybe who knows uh this who is knows? uh this will be out two months after we recorded it so we'll see uh but yeah it's so weird isn't it we should make some predictions for the future do you remember we used to do that did we? Like yeah, which celebrities we did. would get divorced or and die stuff. which celebrities would die i used to actually mm-hmm. then put it in my calendar at work um on the for different dates time. and then we'd look and i'm yep. sure i got a couple right but i can't remember i who. feel like you one year you guys put like at the beginning of January, who would have died the previous year or who would have got divorced. Yeah, I'm sure. And most of them we would never get, but I'm sure I got a couple of them. Um, However, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West now, you did not get that right like four years ago when you guys suggested it as a potential. But Yeah, true. There There you you go. go. Little insight into uh, what we'd get up to at work. Um, So we will uh, see you next week, guys. Thank you for listening. Bye. Hi angels, it's your girl Louise Rumble and I'm the host of the Open House Podcast. Therapy quite literally changed my life and sent me straight into my hot healing girl era. Now each week I share my story, the good, the bad and the downright juicy and chat with some of the world's best therapists, psychologists and wellness experts. From love, sex and dating to attachment styles, nervous system regulation, wellness hacks, hormone balancing and more, nothing is off the table. I've emptied my bank account on therapy and healing so you don't have to. So if you're ready to leave the past in the past and build the future you've always deserved, me and my favorite experts are waiting for you on the Open House podcast. Listen now wherever you stream your podcasts and I cannot wait to meet you.